Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment, and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show, and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.boundless-pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. My guest today is a well-versed and talented angler out of Ottawa, Canada. His pursuits have taken him all over the provinces of Canada in search of fish like pike, muskie, longnose gar, arctic char, giant lake trout, sturgeon, and everything in between. The guy is multi-species fishing personified, and his name is Andrew Bunker. But this isn't a guy that you're going to find on Instagram, at least not at the time that this was recorded. His collection of amazing catches and experiences are highlighted on his personal website, bunksoutdoorangle.com. Andrew's blog vividly details and chronicles his outdoor exploits, and they are supplemented with some incredible landscape photography and, of course, some really big fish. This is a guy who works in the medical field, and he gets dispatched to some of the most remote locations in the Arctic that you can imagine. Far in the northern reaches of little Inuit towns I don't even dare to pronounce. Nestled in the treeless Arctic fjords in the company of polar bears and caribou, he serves small communities of native people in the harshest elements imaginable, the literal edge of the earth. But that hadn't stopped him from taking time to trek across the Arctic to remote locations for some incredible Arctic char. And while his specialty is probably the reaches across Canada, this is a guy who's gone offshore for sailfish. He's done land-based shark fishing. He's spent time in the tropics, and he's really made his rounds for a lot of different kinds of fish. Sitting here on my lanai in sunny southwest Florida, our conversation is a really interesting contrast of locations and people, bound by the common interest in the pursuit of unique angling opportunities. This is Andrew Bunker at BunksOutdoorAngle.com. You got to check it out. Andrew Bunker, appreciate your time. I've been a fan of yours for a long time, but you know what? Uh, Sometimes... Living in the well. digital world and having friendships that uh, are, are only through text just, is, just doesn't do it for you. So I'm trying to evolve a little bit here and, and kind of get to know people a little bit better. But for whatever reason, I cannot remember, like, I usually remember how, like, relationships start or, like, how I met people. But I like, have no recollection of, like, when you and I first started talking. I think it was around the topic of long nose Gar, maybe. But uh, but in no, any I case, th- I found you, Dave. I, I can't remember. I found you. What were we talking about? I found you. <laughs> no, it was not a matter of talking. Well, I don't remember what the first conversation was, but I did find you in researching Gar. I'm very interested in Gar as well. And of course, that I mean, you've got some amazing images online. I think that's probably what came first is through Google Images. Stumbled upon probably you holding one of those giant alligator Gar and just went down the wormhole. And then find you on Facebook, kind of thing, and and that's that's how we roll. Okay, yeah, yeah. I guess that makes sense. I I just it was that was what was kind of in the back of my mind. I, was like, I think it was about Gar, but 
then I, then I, you know, go to your website and I see all the other stuff you've caught. I'm like, well, maybe it was that, maybe it was that, maybe it was this other thing. Cause dude, your website is, uh, I know you don't really do too much. The social media thing is probably good, but your website, I'm like all about it. So that was like kind of the, the thing that's drawn me into you is I can relate. I wish more people would do it. Um, yeah. but it, it, uh, bunksoutdoorangle.com, right? So for anybody listening, I just want to establish that off the bat. Some of the folks I've talked to, I wait until the very, very end to kind of like bring up how can you find this person? But I want to like lay that out there now because, man, some of the like adventures that you're doing and experiences you're doing it, and then especially the way that you're articulating it and you're writing, I'm like a big fan of it because that's, I don't know, that's like, I feel like blog culture is kind of like dying off but it's one of the for sure it's it's one of those things that who knows maybe it'll have a resurgence because i think it really gives a much better and you don't know yeah it it will give such a better like picture into like who people are when you can actually get to know more because this you know the day and age now that we're living in where social media is kind of limited uh and what it showcases. I mean, you can look at people's personal highlight reel on Instagram and it's kind of frustrating for me. Like I want to learn something when I get online to look at fish pictures. Like that's not that fun when you encounter somebody that's got a picture of a world-class fish they've caught. And the description is like a rap lyric. What the hell yeah. are you doing? Like what, what? Like you know, gangster on grouper. <laughs> yeah. Show me this means something to you. Like show yeah, me right. that this yeah. is like, something that you're passionate about and so it it throws me off but um you know i'm just kind of interested in that and you know you seem like you operate in a real unique part of the world part of the continent so i don't know just kind of like let people know where you're from i guess where your experience as an angler has taken you because you've got a big variety of catches and and it i mean we could spend this entire time probably talking about two or three of them but i want to try to cover as much as we can uh i'll try and wrap this up pretty quick uh the beginnings were basically bass and brook trout uh in my mid-teens um after college i moved uh, away from ottawa to a remote fly-in first nations reserve in northern ontario um for work and um up there it was pike and walleye but that's what gave me a taste for the north um stayed there about 10 years um met my wife there children um um but to escape work um was often hitting the river again for pike walleye and sea run brook trout as well and then and then i started taking trips uh um all over canada my wife is very supportive of the fishing that i do and i'm sure um yours is as well um but brenda started following me and uh we we did some great trips together my first trips were for sturgeon and uh pacific coast uh costa rica sailfish those were the first big vacations i ever took and those were two big fish to scratch off a bucket list in 2003 and it just kept on going from there i started kind of going all over i've been all over canada fishing different things and it's just awesome because we've got a huge country with so much fishing to be had and uh i've been lucky to get a taste of it um and and now through work Right now, I, and I've, I left Northern Ontario. I moved back to uh, the Ottawa area. Um, worked for a little bit down here in some uh, local emergency departments because I'm a registered nurse, 
And uh, that just wasn't uh, satisfying me. So uh, I switched uh, <laughs> first talked to my wife, uh, who was, again, supportive of letting me um, work contractually in the Arctic. And now I just essentially do uh, the bulk of my year in the span of five months, uh, condense my hours and work in remote, very remote communities that don't have physicians and basically just 24-7, get it over with. And that gives me about six to seven months of the year where I can just go fishing. Yeah. That's and, in I, a nutshell. And, and I'm definitely going <laughs> to dive into that more. I don't want you to feel like you're like limited on time. Cause I don't have anyone after you. I mean, we're kind of on your, your, uh, uh, time constraints at this point, but I think I can relate to you in that regard. And that fishing for me is a lot of times like an escape from work. Oh, absolutely. it's, it's like a, it's the most powerful instrument that I have of bringing like, I don't know, balance to my life. Because if I, if I don't do it, then I'm in a bad mood or it just does. I'm not, I'm not at peace. And if I'm not at peace, I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good father. I'm not fun to be around at the same token. If I'm fishing too much, you know, you have to be responsible there too. And my wife is very supportive, same thing, but you know, I don't want to forsake that and be gone and missing, you know, for instance, this weekend, I'm going to be out of town, not fishing this weekend. I'd like to, but you know, my, my kids got a gymnastics meet and I've got to be there for, for those things. But, um, you know, it's a weird thing to try to explain. My wife gets it, but I think other folks may not be as fortunate where, but it's a strange thing to have to explain. Like if I don't go do this thing where I chase these slimy fish and put all this money into it, all this energy into it, you know, all these hours into it only to let them go then I won't be as effective as a husband. I won't be as effective as a manager of people in my job. Right. (laughs) I get antsy. I get, I get moody. So it's like, and everybody's got their thing and not, well, maybe not everybody does, but it's, and that's a shame, but you know, having something you're passionate about is like critical to having like a fulfilling existence. But to get in more to like the kind of work that you're doing, I understand. And I sort of, I don't know that world too much, but I, I imagine, and especially through your reading, which, you know, you go into great detail about the stresses of, of what you're doing, working in, I don't know, you want to call it the medical field. I don't want to use the wrong lingual, but people will understand. Other people are as, yeah. yeah. Other people are as ignorant about it as me, but you know, one of the more recent ones I was reading, you know, I feel like you chronicle and I can't, I'm going to, this is going to be a reoccurring theme. I like really encourage people to go to your page and kind of like reconnect with a good read. Like your blogs are almost read like a, like a chapter book. And like you kind of expand on like every, every element of like the journey, not just like catching the fish seems like a small paragraph for the things that you're doing, but like you build a case to where like the climax is like way more interesting. And like, so when I started reading about what you're doing and especially I, you know, the photography that you put into it, I'm like, this is like the greatest thing. I like love reading your blogs because you tie in a lot of like landscape photography and like, you, you feel like I, I can read your stuff and feel like I'm there. Or it's like, it becomes something I'm interested in doing, even though you're very good at highlighting the absolute worst parts of the trip and the stuff that sucks really bad because that makes well, the best yeah. that that makes the best trips though it makes the best stories Store stories are not interesting if everything goes well but yeah i noticed that the writing you know, can, the writing sometimes 
especially on something like the Nunavut Nomad series, where it's a it's a work combination with with Arctic char, like a, a pinnacle for me to catch such an amazing fish, and and my my opportunities are so limited. But um, those 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 trips usually involve me going to work in the north when they're the most understaffed um and um and, and not just understaffed in the health center i work in it's mm-hmm. understaffed everywhere the support all around you and um and then you've got 24 hours of daylight affecting your sleep <laughs> so uh right w- with the work right too like so, sometimes i i have done literally a 24-hour shift come off work and gone fishing for 12 hours and then had to go back to work after a nap and and uh so as as the um as the Nunavut nomads are being written, I sometimes just create it throughout the weeks that I'm there. And it's a way of venting my spleen and getting it off, off yeah. my chest or out of me while it's still fresh. So I'm, I'm typing that into uh, uh, notes that are going to create a big story at the end. And then the edit process is always with me huge because I'm OCD, uh, very detail oriented and uh, I want to put out the best possible story I can, but Sometimes I do like to leave that negative in there. Actually, a lot of times I do because it makes it real. No, no trips go without um, their pros and cons. The, but we always just hope for that big fish at the end to make it, you know, just to wrap it up and make it seem like just this worked out just great. Right. right. Well, I, I think that that's relatable to most people. Like most people understand having to work hard for things and stuff not being given to them. So it's like, those are more interesting to me. And it's more interesting people to bring onto a format like this, like a podcast. Like I want to listen to somebody that I can sort of relate to, not a person that's, I don't know, uh, a TV star or whatever celebrity of some sort. Um, but, and I am going to butcher the names of some of these places that you've been to, because I read them like, how in the hell do you like, like Cougarook? How do you say that one? Yeah, Where Just give, or like, Coug- yeah. so I can look at your photos and then I did a little bit of research and like what this place looks like. And it's like, you're on the edge of the world. Just like describe to people who are obviously listening and like, like, like the layout of the land seems like you, you take a couple of these, huts or small houses and condense them into this mountainous well, obviously, gorge. Yeah. It's a land of no trees, right? So just to even make a house is a huge undertaking. Right. Um, <laughs> all materials have to be shipped in in a sea barge um, when the basically the Northwest Passage is open or the ice is melted and it's a very, very short summer season. Um but uh, as far as Nunavut goes, there's only about, uh, I think there's only 26 or 27 communities in the entire territory. There's only about 35,000 people live in an area the size, I think, of about six Texases put together. Oh, wow. Like, it's it's absolutely mammoth, right? It's But it's just frozen. Well, it, you could say it's just frozen rock and tundra, but it, as you've seen in the pictures, it's incredibly beautiful. Oh, it is. And and it would have never been a place that I even considered looking at if it wasn't for some of those photos. But, uh, you know, it's interesting to me that like to go up there, like the line of work you're doing, I, I sort of put myself in that position. I have been like a first resp- I'm trying to find parallels here. Like even in my time in law enforcement where there's never enough training, there's never enough preparation for those situations. So, like, I know how difficult of a job enough it is just for nurses in a city 
to be properly staffed and properly trained. And then to take that and magnify it by this impossible to quantify amount and throw yourself into an environment like that. It's probably not too inviting for a lot of people who want to be comfortable dealing with challenges that I don't know. I mean, it's, I imagine the folks up there are probably forged through some real difficulties to be naturally tough people. So if they're getting to a point where they need greatest survivors in history, right. And now if somebody like that is pleading for help and they're hurt, it's gotta be something serious. So I'm thinking, you know, I know that's gotta be tough to get up in a scenario like that. And you, you know, maybe you're dealing with somebody like your, your counterparts are not properly trained or you yourself are not ready for that. And you're working these extremely long hours and you're dealing with people who are not having a good day. And I mean, I know I dealt with that in law enforcement. It's like the only time you're responding is you're responding to the worst day of somebody's life. So it's like, it's never, it's, it's hours and hours on end of nothing but negativity or drama or difficulties or tragedy. And I know that that weighs on the conscience and it weighs on your mentality. Those are great points. Those are totally great points. You, then you know what fishing means to you afterwards. Right, right. Like exactly, this is, this is my life over here is the complaints department. It's sad. It's, it's ugly. It's angry and everything else. And then you've got your fishing over here and, and you as a police officer probably know exactly what it's like to compartmentalize your life like that, where you push all that negative stuff over here. You put it into these little boxes in your head and tuck that away. Cause you've probably seen some really ugly things. And then you've got, like in a place like Nunavut, this beautiful landscape all around you with the yeah. wildlife and the amazing fishing and these, uh, you know, I love my photography and my hiking while I'm there as well. And uh, um, so you just, uh, yeah. Well, I can't. It, I, it I makes fishing important like, and getting outside. Yes. Your experiences, from what I gather, it almost sounds like literally serving a tour of duty. And it's like you've got like, you know. It's just a wild assignment to look at. But at the same time, like, I'm glad that you leave that part in your stories because I know it's like critical to, you know, why you would appreciate the outdoor stuff. But man, like the photography, I, I can't put into words. Like I, I'm maybe like you, I, I fumble over my words. I try my best to communicate as eloquently as I can. Like, you know, I can let words flow off my fingertips a lot better than I can in words. But man, the photographs of, these like gorges and these like waterfalls and the, and the different like rock structure. And this and like, I don't know what they call them, but like the, they look like uh, some of the people that live out there have put together these like structures out of stones. In nookshooks. And, and I imagine there's like a real interesting, like, I, and I'm very interested in like just the culture of the people that live there and what, you know, some of that stuff might mean to them. I'm like, what, what an interesting like corner of the globe that people you know, just in the natural, I don't know, evolution of humankind decided to set up shop there and just stay there. Um, and, and, and that's good enough. But, um, the photos is, is unbelievable. I almost enjoy that more than the, than, than the fish photos, because I don't know, I've, I've always been big on like when I'm fishing, I'm a lot of people think like the people who I go fishing with, which very seldom do I fish with anybody else because it's hard to find, I don't know, a lot of people who, go fishing they're so intently focused on just the fish they miss all the stuff that's going on around them and i'm very much the type yeah when i'm fishing and that's probably why i do i catch a lot of heat because i do a lot of bait fishing 
Like, oh, you use bait. I'm like, yes, I need to use bait a lot of times because I, I, my competitive, the competitive side in me, like the side of me that drew me into sports growing up, it manifests itself sometimes with artificial lure fishing where I'm like challenging the intellect of a fish with a piece of plastic. But the other side of me that just needs some peace and quiet and like time to reflect and time to like reset, I need bait fishing. So that's like, I do yeah. that. I do it a lot. I spend a lot of time just setting out baits and sitting and doing nothing and just like watching <laughs> and letting, letting interesting things happen. And so, um, actually the guy that I just spoke to, you know, before you and I got on this call, what drew me into this young kid, a real young kid, 17 years old. And he's already been to like different parts of Africa, French Polynesia. He's traveled all over the globe. Uh, he saves up all his money only so he can go traveling and he like lives out of a bus. And he like, he, he lives a really, really interesting lifestyle for somebody so young. He's oh. already logged some yeah. unbelievable life experiences. And he is like, his photography is amazing. I'm like, dude, that is so cool. And I'm not even, I was telling him, I've got a lot of like hobbies that I like feel like I could get into if I just had somebody to like show me the ropes yeah. and, yeah, maybe I just need to be more of a self-starter, but like I've always admired photographers. Like, and I always thought that'd be something that would interest me. Oh, you take some amazing shots. Those guard like, photos. Always of like a fish, though. You know what I mean? But like before I was ever an angler, I was like a, a kid that liked wildlife. That's what kind of like, you know, that's what led me to fishing ultimately. But first mm-hmm. and foremost, I'm a guy that will stop in his tracks to to observe things. So to be able to do that more intimately and up close without disturbing whatever it is out there through a lens, I think is, is, I don't know. It's something like poetic about it. Maybe. I don't know. I think in the, like every little thing in life, just do it more really deeply. Yeah. Just try doing it more and see what you come up with and take a picture. And then the fun thing with Photoshop is that is now your, your dark room. That's today's dark room. And you can, uh, you know, expose it how you want. I was fortunate. My father was a professional photographer for 27 years. So uh, growing up, we had a dark room in the basement uh, until uh, until every convenience store took photo uh, photo finisher and did photo finishing. So, but anyway, I was uh, always around somebody, my dad, in the house that loved to take photos. So, uh, um, yeah, just uh, um, but he would probably say the same thing. If you're interested in it, just go out and do it. Just go out and try it. You don't really need anybody to show you that. Um, you know what beauty looks like when it's out there in nature. Right. So, well, yeah, the, the, uh, I guess, you know, the thing at the end of it all is, is obviously that the quarry is like the fish like that that's where it all builds up to. And it makes it a lot more rewarding, especially when you've come through some crap to get that fish. It means a lot more to you, but those char, I, I don't, I mean, I had never even thought about those things until I saw your photos, like those fired up, like bright colored fish. Like it, it's a really interesting is there like like yeah. like narrow windows of time that you got to even get to these like middle of the nowhere parts of the world just to have a chance of seeing one go by? I yes. Mean, explain yeah. like the nature of pursuing. So number fish. W- number one, timing timing is absolutely everything, and and there have been a a few trips where and you may have read the the stories such as the uh, the Aqualock or um, the the uh, when I was in Kogluktuk at Bloody Falls where my timing was just the slightest bit off and um and uh, and I'm talking just days like 4 or 5 days no fish to many many fish the aqualock is an example 
um, when those fish come in, they, there's a three-week run of fish, and it's 80 to 90,000 Arctic char move through a two-mile stretch of river into a 30, 25, 30-mile-long 30 lake to overwinter, but you have three weeks. Well, I wanted to catch the beginning of it because that's how kind of how my work contract was timing things. And I get a plane to drop me off there and I'm spending five days out there on the tundra by myself. Um, and I, when I got in the plane, the, the pilot says to me, you'll be lucky if you even see a char. Well, before the trip <laughs> even starts, right, I'm totally deflated. But he flies over the area every day and says, well, they're still out in the ocean, maybe in four or five days. Well, I've only got four or five days. So for four days, I walked the tundra in search of fish. <laughs> I think I caught a few lake trout and maybe two random char um, as the tide was coming in at the ocean end. And it wasn't until the very last day, like I'm talking hours, I'm sitting there eating a bowl of soup on a, on a, on a bank overlooking the river. And, um, and that's when the first pods of char started to come in. And uh, talk about timing. And that's char fishing because everything in the north is is super sped up. The summer season is a few weeks. It's not Florida where it's to yeah. us or to them. It, that's all year. Like they're yeah. talking daytime highs. I don't know what it would be in Fahrenheit, but in Celsius, you know, some of these communities, summertime daytime highs only reach the teens. So that's probably the Oof. 40, 50 Fahrenheit range for you guys, maybe 60, like freezing. So it's very cold. short summer. Uh, freezing cold <laughs> yeah right? for me but uh um, and, and even it, the last the last chart trip that that was i nailed the fish one weekend and went back the following weekend and there wasn't a fish to be had for whatever reason they shut down or i they had moved or i whatever um but to catch them when they're red like that as well it's a very short window that they're biting because that's red char fish that have been in the river for a while and they've gone from silver to their red taking on their their red hues or their spawning colors otherwise uh, when they go to the ocean they're as they're all fresh chrome they're silver like a salmon so um you want to get colored fish you've got a window you've got a short summer that's a window um and uh yeah so i would say for char fishing it's always well the the fish leave the fish leave the lakes usually around early July, early to mid-July, because they overwinter in lakes and they go out to the ocean to feed on things like capelin. And they're out there for sometimes only three, four, five weeks, sometimes two, two and a half months, and then they return. So you're either catching them on the way out or you're getting them on the return. The returns yeah. are, you know, the fish come back more slowly on a return because you don't have spring runoff of snow and everything else to just push them out the, uh, the um, river when they when they they leave after over in winter to go feed um that's and i was just researching that uh again today because i'm i'm trying to set up a contract for this coming summer where i'm going to go for silvers instead on an outrun i hope to as opposed to fish the reds on a return or the silvers on a return run so basically going to work in july as opposed to august um so but yeah we, sorry no, you're good. I mean, what are you, I mean, these are just migratory fish and I know sometimes that can be a weird game to play, but I mean, uh, they're eager to take, like, what are you throwing at these things? I don't know anything about char. Are they eating eggs or eating, are they eating bait fish or are they just reaction striking? On, uh, what are they eating? On the way out, they're just, 
Well, when they come out of the lakes, they, after overing winter, uh, over, after they overwinter in the lakes and while they're overwintering, they, they hardly feed at all. They don't generally start feeding until May under the ice a little bit. Um, but uh, if you do manage to catch them, like say the, 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 uh, the Inuit do in uh, gill nets in the wintertime, if you cut them open, every last one of them will have nothing in its belly. They're basically just floating in the water through the winter, sleeping, and then, and just gradually losing weight. So when they leave in the uh, springtime, they're going to the ocean to feed so hard and heavy on everything. And capelin is probably in the places I've been like their number one thing to eat, like a smelt. Um, and um, they'll put on like they'll double their weight in in a few in a few short weeks. And when they come back in on the fall runs, they are much more powerful. I mean, they've got just just loads of protein in them and yeah. nutrients and they've got you know these rivers to get back up which generally aren't you know they're not like mississippi or the niagara or anything like that they're not they're not big heavy flows a lot of them some are but uh but they just they just get back up the river and over winter so when they're going out in the springtime you could basically throw anything at them um coming back in the fall they can be a little bit fussier because they might not be wanting to eat they might just be wanting to get where they're going um I, I do some fly fishing, but uh, I can't say that I've done any for char. Uh, but yeah, they're using streamers and Mickey fins and and muddlers and whatever. Like generally, there's something local. Um, yeah. Uh, if you're going through an outfitter that they'll recommend. Uh, but myself, I'll, I'll be chucking spoons, a variety of spoons. It's rare that it's the same spoon in the same place. Um, on the river sections, but in lakes, it's a little bit different. It can be a little bit more, uh, it can be narrowed down a little better. Um, um, spinners and uh, jigs, like uh, a hair jig or a, a Mr. Twister or something like that um, on those fall those fall returns. So, uh, so those uh, are some of the things to use. Yeah, and is it the males and the females that fire up that? The color is what catches. I mean, the, the color is... You know what? Obviously, is the big thing with them, the, the, these wild, like orange, fiery orange, red colored fish. I imagine, like, how, is that? I'm assuming that's how you know that they're there. You mentioned, like, that you knew when they arrived. Is that like a visual thing, or are you sitting there casting and then you happen to catch one that that that's going by, or is it like you're sitting there along the bank and you visibly get confirmation that oh, there they are because I can see these red things swimming across the top of the water. There are places that that happens for sure. And in the shallow rivers, you're going to see them. Um, uh, I, I just popped up a fish. It's probably one of the ones you've just seen in the recent report. These fish, I couldn't see at all. I just had a general idea that they were, well, I, I knew they were there. I knew they were around there. I'd hoped anyway. Uh, fish were deeper, so I didn't, I didn't see them. This is male char. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it shows up. And I can really, realistically, I can probably pull this up and, and like, stick it on the video that I end up posting, but that showed up great. So, yeah, so with that being male char, it's definitely a bigger, brighter orange and everything else, whereas I'm not sure if I've got some female pictures here because they just, they aren't as quite as magnificent looking, but they do get um, kind of uh, a more pink. Um, they still, I think they stay more pink and peach looking. Whereas these uh, the male char get really blown up red, um, 
but no, I don't have any female char actually on this. Uh, but um, I will show. So this is a this is a fish that just fresh came out of the ocean. Oh yeah, right. That fish, that fish in a matter of weeks will be or could be the same color as that one that I showed previously. Um, they'll they'll turn quickly once they they get back into the fresh water and set up on the reds. And I, I don't know why, but the funny thing is, is that that white, that super chrome white fish, when you cut into that, its flesh is blood red. The orange fish, when you cut into that, it's almost white to pink. So I oh. think that there's a pigment transfer that goes on for whatever reason. Well, probably for the act of spawning and, and looking right. good for to attract the females, yeah. that they move the the uh, the pigment from their flesh to their skin, uh, but I, I'm no scientist. I, that's only my guess. But but yeah, uh, that, that, that the, like... the the males are definitely the uh, the uh, bigger kiped, yeah, super uh, super colorful fish. Well, one thing I wanted to do because, like I said, I really I, I love reading your stuff, and 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 I'm going to give you a break here because I want to read this one this one paragraph. Like I thought I was. I don't know. I just I feel like you paint such a good picture with your writing. Now, I'm not a professional reader or a narrator, but people are going to be hearing my voice, your words. But uh, I, I read this and I got so entertained by like the way that you express yourself. So it says and this is the experience of catching one. I think this is around when you had first encountered one of the first fish, if not the first fish on this tough trip. It says right away, this char felt mint. Big and strong, it quickly humbled me into a soft chant of fish prayers. Halfway to me, it then blew up on the surface, thrashing. And when that ultra orange flash, coupled with its awesome size, was first witnessed, those prayers may have switched to faster swears. <laughs> Knew at that moment it was the prize that could make or break my entire time in Kugaruk. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Six fish had already managed to free themselves, but not this one. Not this one. When he came to my grasp, the fish suddenly buckled my knees and an immense joy and relief washed over. Honestly, I could have cried and I've been there. I've honestly, and I have no shame in saying there are certain fish that have like yep. got me to the point of tears. And there's certain fish that I know in the future when I catch, it'll probably happen. And I don't care if that makes me a nerd. It is very well the largest pure strain. Uh oh, can't pronounce this. Pronounce this word. Ivaturalik. Ivaturalik. Oh, I ain't going to try that one. I'll let you cover that one. Then I have walked, waited, ATV'd, stood, and a billion times casted to over the past six summers. Hours upon countless hours of aligning the contracts, the work, the time, the travel, the moon and stars to create each nomad experience. And I cannot think of a greater, bigger fish caught than this. A beautiful life memory along with a catch, which together define a pinnacle of my angling experience. That is like awesome. Like that's the kind of stuff I I love reading that kind of yeah. stuff, and it's like, well, it, that, it damage it damage the char you're talking about. Lyric. The char you're talking about is the one I just showed the picture of. Uh, the, the the big orange one, and uh, I mean, there's there actually there are bigger char out there, but that is the biggest pure strain that I've ever caught. And how you say char uh, red char in inuktitut. Uh, the Inuit language is Ivataurlik. So you were asking about that word you couldn't pronounce. It's Ivataurlik, which just means red char. Okay, that would take um, me some practice. I barely even speak proper English. So that's 
an uphill battle. You Southerners. Redneck guy. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. Earlier, you said something, and I had to, like, write it in quotes because I didn't want to let it get away from me. But you talked about how when you showed up, the fish weren't there. And so you just wandered the tundra. So when you said that, I'm like, wandering? The, I, I, I go, I, I, like, go off into this visual place. I'm just walking around in that environment. Now, I've seen your photos were these polar bears, and that was the one thing that always gets me is the photos you've got of polar bears, like right outside. Like like what we have down here in Florida, like uh, a raccoon digging through the trash. You had posted photos one time of a polar bear walking outside of the building you're in. I'm like, oh, hell no. <laughs> like, so when I say, when you talk about wandering the tundra, like, are you armed? Are you, like, worried? Or is it even the same area that you encounter this kind of thing? Yeah. Uh the the equilock trip where i i caught the plane um into the uh to where i camped for five days yeah um the uh the rcmp um our mounties uh they they issued me a gun i i have a a gun license i don't hunt at all i i went through the course specifically so i could carry a gun in some of the places that i go um and I did one other trip uh, of two weeks through Polar Bear Provincial Park in Northern Ontario fishing sea run speckled trout and speckled trout. And um, we had a polar bear come by at breakfast um, after we finished our bacon and eggs and we're loading up the canoe. <laughs> we didn't even hear that thing coming. We we didn't. They they sneak right up on you. But um, at that time of year, they're just in a, a wandering hibernation. They're not really eating or anything. So it left us alone, just walked on. Uh, other than that, those are the only two times that I've carried guns on the trips. Um, otherwise, I am taking some risks at times. And then in some of the places that I'm going, there really aren't uh, too many polar bears around. Um, uh, grizzly grizzly in, in a couple of places. And uh, uh, so I did have some bear spray on one trip. But um, yeah, there are definitely some dangers out there in the arctic that will kill you quick you may not see them coming <laughs> like so yeah well may at least you might be able to i don't know render aid to yourself but i think if a polar bear gets on you you're you're i mean you're pretty much done oh they kill people yeah, yeah they yeah. they do kill people <laughs> yeah so. that's a yeah they're, that's they're, they're not alligators though Right. No, it's I don't know. I, I feel like maybe the polar bear is like y'all's version of our alligators. And I'm thinking into it too much because uh, I don't know. I grew up around alligators and it's just like I mean, it's just like a, a log that swims around. They're so stupid. They're so slow. They oh, still really? kill people. Um, they still cause issues with people. And, I, and, and I've got a guy coming on soon that, you know, had an encounter with one that was pretty catastrophic but that'll be an episode for later he's got a really really interesting survival story and probably saw the worst side of an alligator but so they they can do they can mess you up but it's like okay well if you're not in the water you're pretty much good polar bear i don't know where you you ain't gonna climb a tree there's no trees you're not gonna out swim them you're not gonna outrun them you're screwed you're done so that was like man i don't know i I would feel I would feel so uneasy if I saw one of those things. It's like, there's no barriers. There's no barrier. There's, there's nothing between us. Well, the only one we did, the one that came by for breakfast and just kind of kept on going up river and was leaving us alone. Um, I kind of forgot for a minute how like the danger of it. Once I saw it and, I, and noticed that it was moving on past the camp, I grabbed my camera and started running towards it. <laughs> and that's when my buddy Mike says, 
you might want to grab the gun. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but anyhow, the, uh, the Inuit tell me though, when I go on my hikes in the wintertime, um, obviously to be careful, uh, they feel that the bears can get a sense whether you've got a gun or not. And I guess they have a super powerful uh, sense of smell and maybe, that makes you know, sense. I would just, have never thought about that gunpowder. They yeah. may associate it uh, or the, they may know, be able to smell, fear. smell. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I never would have, I, I mean, it totally makes sense. I know they've got unbelievably acute senses, so I totally believe it. Um, but yeah. And I, and I knew that I really wanted to dive into, I say, that I wanted to hear a lot about the char for me. A lot of it is like the, ex- the experience is like around the fish. Um, and, and maybe I'm just selling short, but man, you're the, like the diverse collection of fish you have. I was like, I had to jot them all down. It's, it's really like, I don't know. I appreciate that because I love like the multi-species. Cause approach. you do the same. Right. Because it's like, I don't know, it's just more fulfilling, but I mean, you've got yeah. white sturgeon, lake sturgeon, the burbot through the ice. That's a cool one. That's one I'd like to try. I was looking at one of your stories. I don't remember the title of it. It was one of your other really well-written chronicles where you're catching these gigantic pike. Um, and these are all fish I've never caught. Never caught, a, never caught. well, the kind of sturgeon you've caught, I haven't caught. Uh, bourbon through the eyes, pike. It was gigantic long-nosed gar, which I would have never thought were that far north. Uh, the musky, huge musky. It's another bucket list fish for me. But then you're also doing land-based shark fishing sailfish, carp fishing. So real diverse collection of fish. I think your ethos for the pursuit of fish is probably in line with mine where it was just like, you know, it's it's every different face and mouth structure kind of presents a different puzzle to solve. But, um, you know, is there any one of those that, I don't know, I think we all kind of have like our, our favorite fish, like the one that kind of brings us back. Is there, is there a species for you that kind of defines you more than others? That that's probably the one you're more closely aligned with or tied to maybe a favorite fish. It's changed over the years. Um, kind of flip-flops. Uh, I can't actually pinpoint. And and it's funny. I just wrote about what this exact question in, 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 a, in an article on, on the website um and have been thinking it over because it has changed over the years but right now because a char has all that adventure around it and then and it it's definitely encapsulates my northern life uh it's definitely a favorite i don't get to do it as often as other fish um the pursuit of muskie is something incredible too it, it's a definite hunt 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 it is a true grind um, and it exhausts me and it frustrates me probably more than anything else. But then it, it is one of those fish that can still get me weak in the knees, whereas a lot of other fish have kind of gotten spoiled, I guess, and used to catching. And then the last one would be lake trout, because lake trout is a is a 12 month a year fish. If you really want it to be, there's so many different ways you can go after them. Um, and with, with trolling, casting, jigging, ice fishing. They are the ultimate fish through the ice. Um, and we we tend to think of, it, like in Canada, as musky as our big fish. Or the Great Lakes guys, it's salmon are their big fish. Right. Um, sturgeon are our biggest, but they're not. it's not really as big a sport fishery. Mm-hmm. But lake trout is something nationwide, from the south to the north, east to the west. And, um, and those fish are huge. 
like they have had fish up to over 100 pounds caught in nets on Lake Athabasca, uh, where I fished a great bear. Um, you know, they had a 91, 2 or 93 pound fish uh, caught in a net in Delaney. The world record comes from there. Um, and lake trout in their in their element are extremely strong fish. Uh, most Southerners don't realize that or recognize that because they're they're catching you know they're catching them in in uncomfortable water already right <laughs> unless it's through the ice um or they might be a, a stocked fish that just isn't as strong as a natural but um you know these arctic places where there's lake trout those are fantastic fish too so those would be my three favorite and then my sentimental all my life fish is brook trout because that's what really got me Kind of, that's what really gets the sense of adventure turning for me when I was in my teens was being introduced to fly fishing, going in a float tube, taking a trip for fish into the wilds to these pristine areas where speckled trout live and uh, and getting a taste for fishing in that way as opposed to just off a dock, catch a bass, right? It was that whole, so that's a sentimental favorite that's kind of carried with, that I've carried over all my life. And I do several trips one or two a year now for speckled trout. Right. No, that's, yeah, that, that was actually, and it's funny about the lake trout thing. When I was writing that, I, you know, I wrote that little kind of a short piece that was where I had tried to break down all of, you know, our continent's biggest freshwater fish. I was really surprised when I was, you know, doing the quick dive into lake trout that they got that big. I mean, that's a, that is a small class of fish that we have here that, that are in that triple digit range. I'm like, really? It's like, oh my gosh, like that's like the potential's kind of, there. Yeah. Kind of a scary thought. But even even to be getting near it is uh is pretty wild. So but that's awesome. So I guess that's like, you know, there's that side of things. And then I'm always curious, like people like yourself, people like, I don't know, it's just one of those questions you always want to ask another fisherman, like, you know, what would be like your bucket list fish? Maybe you got a, a handful of them. I'm sure you've got oh, you've probably got a bunch of bunch of them is there any any fish that stands out as one you really want to tackle when it's all said and done um if i was made for the heat a a little more like you uh i would definitely want to be somewhere south and get a tarpon um haven't done that um and then the other that i haven't caught up here is an atlantic salmon so that is still on my my bucket list i'd like to do that somewhere probably in northern quebec um doesn't have to be a giant but maybe just to catch more than one and not have to go through all the east coast restrictions and everything else just go somewhere and really pound some atlantic salmon have some fun with it and that's that's probably that's probably the two i wouldn't mind catching a rooster fish because i've hooked into a few of them and holy smokes man they're freight trains um like a lot of saltwater fish and they're just cool looking and because I'd hooked them and lost them, they kind of pissed me off. <laughs> I yeah, that's, now. I want to roost. That's that's the one that's on my list because I feel like that's a very realistic like DIY trip. Like that that's mm. one like down there in like Cabo and that area. Like you can go down there, you can rent one of those little dune buggies, you can patrol the beach yourself and be sight casting to them. You don't need necessarily the service of you know a, a guide, which I'm all for supporting, you know, the people that are making a living doing that stuff, but I think like for me, bucket list wise, a lot of times it's like I I look more at the fish that like which ones could I go? And if I did enough research and put enough planning in place, could I go and do myself 
before you think of like obviously high mantle fish, like for a freshwater guy, it's like you know the the arapaima probably ranks up there as like one of those holy grail fish. But oh yeah, cool you ain't fish. going to the middle yeah. of the Amazon jungle alone. Like someone's gonna lead you to that That's fish. Right. That's right. But it's yeah. also one of those ones where you know just following the theme of this recording is like I want to go to interesting places. Like it's like there's got to yeah. be like a story that comes after it because believe it or not, you can catch arapaima in Florida. People are doing it. But they're doing it by, you know, I don't know, trespassing on private property, going on to these farms and or you can pay to go to some of these weird lakes they have over there in Thailand. They're stocking with fish from all over the world. I'm like, see, I'm just, you know, I can't do no, that. No. There's just no, there's no way. But, you know, I'm always interested in, well, you know, I don't know, the vision that people have for what they want to get done as an angler. But, you know, at the same time, you got to be appreciative of the stuff that's right there in your backyard. Uh, and I and agree. I, I agree with it. Kind of just the the uh, just the DIY part that you're speaking of. It's like I haven't done tarpon. I probably could have, but I haven't because a like I swell up like a balloon when I hit the heat for the first five days. All I want to do is nap. Yeah. Like my body just does something weird. My feet get all swollen and I get tired and yada yada yada. But um, I, I would have to pro- like I would have to get a guide for tarpon. I would think and and um, and roosters, but Atlantics. The Torngad Mountains in northern Quebec, that's where, like, up in that range, because it's absolutely incredible landscape, and there's some definite uh, Canadiana history there um, uh, with some early uh, outfits. But it's the place that you could, you you wouldn't necessarily need the guide. You'd literally just walk out of wherever you're staying, go down to the river and go left, go right, start walking, looking at the different pools and, and catching your own salmon. So... Now, cool. uh, and, and just kind of speaking about, you know, DIY and or, you know, I know on your website you do mention, are you still offering guided trips during the course of the year? It looks like there's there is an option on your site about guiding. Is that something you're still entertaining now or is it just like you super? Know, you here well, yeah, I'm a bit of a fuss bucket for one because it's, uh-huh. you know, the. I, I don't I don't get asked too too often and generally when I do it's for Nipigon number one more than anything else but everybody wants something for nothing right they they don't take into account the 18 hour drive I have to make one way and an 18 hour drive back to fish a week and that I've done that 30 times in my life at a huge expense to me to figure out what I know so that somebody can just come get it for cheap so usually when I give them the price it's like, it's a, it, I, I'll offer something that's like at a day rate for somebody else, but just, I want to do it for an entire week. Right. That's yeah. So, so people kind of shy away from that sort of commitment yet. They, they, they could sometimes pay two, three, four times the amount for some, some lodge that they can only ever get back to through the lodge. But if they were to do a trip with me to say Nipigon for a quarter of the price, half the price, they could turn around and go back and they're both the following year and repeat and repeat and repeat. So they've got a lifetime yeah. um, of fishing to do uh, for, for a lot cheaper. So I'm very selective and, and then some people just don't like the price tag, but at home um, I do do some guiding again. And a lot of guys just basically want to pay you for a spot that you've worked hard to figure out. Uh, right. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, uh, 
I pick the right people. I, I do do some guiding and, um, and uh, I don't really go on about it too much, but I wouldn't say that I do a lot. It's not, I'm not making a living. I have a lot of fun when I put new people in the boat that are the right people and we do something yeah. that they've never done before or, or just say like, you know, catch a personal best. I had a, I had a muskie angler in the boat that uh, he'd been fishing muskie for 20 years and uh, you know, double the double the number of years that I had, mm-hmm. uh, just in a different area though. I had I I have I had better water and some time in on it, and we took him out and he uh, put him on a fifty four inch muskie, and uh, that was his first over fifty. And oh wow, uh, you know, uh, he, he got to reel that in, and that you know, to be a part of that for him is absolutely awesome. And and now he knows what to do as well if he ever comes back with his boat, uh, he can do it and. Um, but uh, that's that's great. Putting people on the the nice sturgeon too that we catch the gar if if it's the right people, you know. Like so, yeah, I do some guiding, but not not a whole heck of a lot. I'm a pretty busy guy, Dave. Actually, yeah. <laughs> Once I'm fishing, I'm very just like work's done and I'm fishing. I you know the the year is mapped out. My contracts for work from now until next December. Those those time frames are all. I'll, I'll pre-selected. I'm just slotting in the trips here and there. And, and, uh, uh, for basically the same, it'll be the same routine this year as it was last year. The fish that I like to fish at the times that I like to fish them. Um, and, uh, and, uh, people that want to, people that want to get guided to something like yourself, if you ever come up, hey, then, That's um, something, yeah, that has to happen. That like absolutely <laughs> has to happen for sure. Yeah, but, uh, I I could see you. I could see you, like in a uh, kind of maybe a, a late October, uh, a, a sturgeon, um, musky, maybe even big Lake Ontario walleye combo for a oh, week yeah. kind of thing. Oh, that sounds great! <laughs> I know the the lake sturgeon. That's one that I really want to catch. But it's like I'm, I'm weird. I have these strange like self imposed stipulations on certain fish. I'm like. Like, I feel like there's opportunities to go do it in an easy way, but yeah, but I, I, it needs to be like, like this. And so like, uh, like musky is one. And it's like, I feel like I, I know a lot of guys that catch them here in the States, like even yeah. kind of close, but I'm like, for whatever reason, I really want to like cross that border and like get up to Canada to do it. Mm. And I don't know why it's like, I'm kind of like holding myself back maybe, but I feel like it'd be more fulfilling. I know why. I, I know why you do. Honestly, because the muskies are bigger. (laughs) (laughs) Georgian Bay and 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 the St. Lawrence and Lake Ontario, although you could access from the state side, obviously, but uh, those those waters are are the big fish factories. Oh, Green Bay too, I suppose. Yeah, you know, you can get some biggies in Lake of the Woods, but I think if there was a world record to come ever, it would be Georgian Bay or potentially like a Lake Ontario fish. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because up there, it's like they get bigger, but it also seems like more com- of, a, of a, I don't know, I want to say common, but it's just, I don't know, it's just a more pure fishery, I think. But uh, no, your gar oh. scene is one that I ha- I can't, like, we can't get off here without touching on. And, and I know that that's a resource you want to protect, and, and I get that line of thinking. So, you know, we we won't get too much into it. But I'm, I, I'm curious, like, it's a weird cultural thing here, especially in, like, I don't know what how like people in Canada view gar, but I do know, you know, historically the stigma with them in the United States anyway is 
mostly been negative. I feel like there's a shift that's taken place in recent times, but like, you know, I didn't even realize that y'all had, not only do you have long nose guard, you have big ones, like really big ones. And I was surprised when I saw your photos, I was like, Jesus, like those are like monster versions, but like the, the, the public or other anglers, like how, what do they think about gar? They want to smash them. Like, do y'all have a, like a bow fishing culture or is it a thing to catch them and throw them on the bank? Uh, what do people think about gar up here? For the most part, people don't think about gar up here. I mean, you've got this prehistoric fish that's been here for eons under people's noses. There's really no fishery for it. It's a, you know, it's it's a an incidental catch. Um, for most, there's only a really a handful of guys that do it well so far yeah. in the area that's which I live. There's a little bit of a fly fishing culture for it. Um, but not around me. Uh, not that I, well, a little bit around me, but, um, but for the most part, they're, they're, they're kind of overlooked and they're a tough fish to catch. Now you do it differently than we do. Um, but, uh, your hookup percentages are pretty low and there's certainly for most, uh, but there's there's better ways to approach the fish to catch the fish um and and, and certain tools you can use to, to just to help with your fishing um and unless i think unless anglers know that um the odds are stacked against them for catching any decent numbers of them or especially catching the big ones that a, a very small handful of us do and again so that's kind of why like I'm a little protective of it because yeah. the gar fishing is all around the greater Toronto area and Ottawa as well, especially Ottawa and Montreal. And these are our huge cities, our biggest cities in Canada. Um, with uh, So if, if the fishery ever did really catch on, it could explode and just make my fun go away. <laughs> so Right. <laughs> Well, I feel like there's the potential could be there. So we don't want to, we, we don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I could kind of see why it may not like the contempt may not be there or they just haven't had the opportunity to run across them. I've always felt like the origin of the contempt of the fish here, at least in the States is like, especially down here in the South, you've got a lot of people that are fishing a shiner under a bobber or a cricket on a cane pole or a cut paint on the bottom for catfish. And it's like, so people are like using a certain kind of rig that is more prone to having that interaction with agar. And they're not hooking them to your point. They're not going to hook up with them. That the structure of the mouth is not like people engineered and designed hooks for a certain type of mouth. And it's just not that. So, you know, it's, it's not easy with gar. When, when you're out there with your, baits in the water and you're trying to catch these fish and, and, and you're basically losing money because they're just taking baits, taking baits, taking baits. They become the bait thief real quick. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then a lot of times that people are putting these baits at the top of the water column and stagnant warm waters, uh, where more popular fish don't necessarily even want to be at. And so they're encountering more and more gar than anything. And then, you know, the, the, the surface level thinker is going to sit here and put two and two together. We'll be, a, well, that giant fish that gar I ate right all there, the fish. Yeah. 
with big, sharp, scary teeth. It only makes sense. They must have eaten everything. But uh, I don't know if up there y'all have folks. It's so big down here, like especially in the South. Like People lined up along the bank with a barber and a minnow. It's like, you know, that's like the most fundamental type of fishing that folks are doing. And so the opportunities for that encounter are just really great down here. People, people run across gar like crazy and, or they're throwing their favorite shiny lure and they get the sparkly paint chipped off because the gar takes a swipe at it. So it's, um, I don't know. I think that that's the first, the first impression. And then it just goes South from there. I have days on the water where I may not see another gar angler period. And that's moving around, changing spots. Um, if I do see gar anglers, I generally know who they are. Mm-hmm. We just move around one one another with respect. Um, um, but uh, again, it's a pretty untapped fishery. So uh, um, there are some guys guiding for it now. And I, I have a feeling they will change the game in in time. Although some have been guiding... Uh, a couple have been guiding for at least five to one guy, maybe 10 years. And uh, I'm not seeing much increase in traffic. I am seeing a change in fish behavior, but because you, you're, I think the guy you're fishing, you're fishing for generally blind. Um, You know, you're bait soaked under a float or on bottom. Um, There are a few people that might sit on the shore and try that in places where there's gar. But otherwise, for us, it's all sight fishing. It's like bone right. fishing. So um, that that's, I think, for well, why, A, I love gar so much um, is uh, it's like it's like my musky fishing. It's just that I'm actually seeing them all the time. Like there are yeah. days where I could literally not cast at 100, 200 maybe even 300 fish that I I see in a day, I'm just passing them by looking for the one. Right. Or the two, right? And that's, so that sight fishing aspect, that hunt. Um, and it's like, going back to what you were talking about before, on a on a nice day out for gar, you're, you're observing your surroundings and you're, you're always watching the water and you're seeing neat things. And especially you're seeing gar. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing them behave and how they behave. And um, um, so they're a neat fish. And because you always see them too, when other anglers are uh, come into play or there's other boats in the area, you actually see the change in their behavior. Like you really get intimate with this fish right. when it's something that you can watch, like it's in an aquarium all the time when the season is on. Um, how that culture hasn't caught on. I have no idea like how people haven't caught on to how cool that is yeah. when people will, when some anglers will pay so much money to go sight fish, bone fish on the flats. Well, right here in Canada, we've got in the springtime, I'd say pike and gar that can be a sight fishing game. And that's fun. That's a fun way to finish. So. Well, you can definitely approach them uh, in similar and the same ways here in the U S I've, I've done. Oh, it that's I, true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've done it sight fishing. I prefer it sight fishing. I like it, especially when there's a lot of them, because you can kind of like pick out which one you really want to, you know, if you just throw a bait mm-hmm. out there, you got mm-hmm. the one big mama female surrounded by 
bunch of little runty males, but uh, it seems like there's at least some visual element regardless because I will use their habit of rolling as just like at least some visual right. confirmation that, okay, right here, they're here. But uh, yeah, that's, that's one of those weird mysteries. And it, I know down here in the States, it's like, okay, you've got a fish that can get five feet long and be as big around as your leg. They will take artificials. They'll take flies. They'll take baits. They'll leave the yeah. water and tail walk. It's exciting. And I think, it's an easy, it, I think that they'll catch on, but they also like down here, they kind of live in the shadow of their bigger, much bigger cousin. Uh, but it's still weird. I mean, it's, yeah. it's strange that they have been here longer than most any other freshwater fish. And yet you still see a lot of people down here that don't realize that there's different species of gar. They, they, they think it's all one thing. It drives me crazy here in Florida. They call every single gar alligator gar. I'm like, have you ever wondered why none of these alligator gar are more than two feet long? There's thousands, and we got these little spotted gar down here in the Everglades that are absolutely everywhere. But um, oh, they're wow. kind of pesky. I mean, they're a little bit of fun, but they're so prevalent that it's like, I don't know, it takes the challenge or the the. Interest you know what's funny, too, them. Dave, when you say that, that they're they're everywhere. And even on these waters up here, there's a huge biomass of gar in, in the rivers around us, some of the rivers and lakes around us. And they've been here for millions of years. People will still say, well, the gar have eaten all the fish. Well, uh, yeah. I think they would have eaten them a long, long time ago and there'd be nothing right. left because there's been the same number of gar probably, you know, back a million years ago as there is now. I will sometimes exhaust the effort to try to explain that to people. Well, I will do it in person a lot on the internet. No, I just, you know. I won't yeah. even play that game, but yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like, okay, how do you think that fish even hit the first rung of the evolutionary ladder? Like that, that gar was already looming, waiting on their arrival, and somehow they still made it up. Doesn't add up. Your story right. doesn't yeah, add yeah. up. Yeah, but, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's kind of a funny one. It's it's definitely changed. I see a lot more people. I always wondered if like social media has helped them in some way, or if it's like, or if it has just uncovered that there was more people doing it than I ever realized. Um, beforehand so you know because now you see a lot more people doing it i'm like well is it more people are doing it because more people are interested or were they always there and now i can just see it but i tend to believe it's like it's just kind of catching on it's one of those things that's a little bit changing my my website stats would increase like would indicate that too i get Mm. i get almost daily visitors hit on a couple of my gar reports um which that wouldn't be the case 10 years ago. Or I, I guess the website's only been in existence for seven or eight, but so five years ago. Um, but now it's uh, definitely, I'm getting more hits on, on, uh, on Gar. Well, the, the ones um, that you're catching are really like, they got the eye appeal. Like I, even more so than any of the ones I very envious, the ones that y'all catch up there because like the, the landscape's nicer. The fish just look cleaner. They're all spawned up. up. Yeah, they're all and they're like, I mean, you're pulling fishing like that are, you know, in the mid 50 inch, you know what? I mean, high, high caliber and and in filled out specimens. So, you know, anybody that's scrolling by and sees that is going to take a double, double look. So um, we're awesome. Average. uh, I gar. Weather dictates gar, our gar windows as well in the season. Um, and then I have 
generally trips that cut my season short. So um, I, I tend to get in about 10 to 12 uh, guard days uh, a year. That's all. And generally get 15 to 20 over 50 inches, hmm. which is, you know, a, a guard or two over 50 a trip on average. Some years there have been like every day there was at least one over 50. And I think best guard days over 50, I know for a fact is uh, uh, six over 50 in a day. And then a couple other days Jeez. it was five over 50. Um, and, um, you know, could have been more, but when you're, when you're catching fish like that and you've got to handle them, you want to take the photos and your window's short and there's only so much time in a day and right. you know, the excitement of it all. Yeah, you get you get caught up uh, taking the pictures. And gar are an awesome fish for photos, as you know, because mm -hmm. they can handle a little bit of time yep. out of the water and stress. They've got that amazing body armor that uh, makes them pretty resilient to to even their own their own thrashing about in the boat. Sometimes they get a little under out of control. But man, what getting, a cool fish! Yeah, get, um, and getting multiple fifty in a day, it's like that. That that's like like major numbers even by like the southern fish standpoint i don't feel like even in the best areas i've been to i could get more than one 50 inch fish i mean i may get more than one but it's not going to be too many more than one um so it's like it's so strange because you know you think that how long is your here, season though dave well i mean in florida i can catch them year round i can go right now That's we've right. got some giant so long nose in florida florida's got a very underappreciated like population of of long nose guards really weird because there's some really i feel like in the united states florida is probably is is probably the only like it's probably the only state that could compete with like texas we've got some i mean especially some of the springs here it, it, that now that is an interesting place to go and observe these fish because that we you know florida's got all these natural springs and the water's like swimming pool water but a lot of the springs too they have very designated like no fishing authorized you know, zones, the gar pick up on that. They know it. It's like, it is very like distinct cutoff point when you stop seeing them just happens to be right when you're allowed to fish again. The, some of the fish that you see, hovering over these, the, some of the fish that you see hovering over these aquifers, like on these, like these deep holes is really, I don't, I wonder what it is about the actual spring head that they like so much, but the spots where the spring is like 50, a hundred feet deep, they, they sit right over it and these things are mass i'm talking 60 inch class fish you're like oh my god wow so there's some giants here but can't touch. I, you can you can snorkel with them you can swim with them which is really neat uh blue springs here is actually notorious for it blue springs state park uh i think it's, it's either blue springs or silver spring i'm pretty sure it's blue springs i haven't done it yet. i've seen them in the other springs but blue springs is notorious for it and you can just snorkel and have these like 50 inch gar swimming all around you. And they're not scared of you. They're used to swimmers. Like I, I like really want to do it. But uh, anyway, I went on my own little tangent there, but I think it's cool. I like that point you made um, just a minute ago about where once the fishing season opens, they're gone. They scatter yeah. like gar are gar are a wily fish. I always consider them right. wily. Like, a you know, they're, they're the coyotes. The muskies are the wolf. Right. Oh, I like the that, awful yeah. wolves, but the, <laughs> but uh, but but gar are a wily, smart fish. They're the coyotes, and we see that again, like with angler pressure up here. 
uh, probably not to the extent that you you would see down there, but you know, I know, just by how gar behaving when they were pro- like, I, I swear, when they were last fished, or I sometimes even see them, and I, you know, there's telltale signs on them. You know when they were last caught, but they they definitely change their tune after they've been worked by another angler. And um, again, for me, another reason why I'm kind of tight-lipped is you can burn an area. One boat could burn right. an area one day, and then you go in the next day or the fo- two or three days later, and you're going to have to work harder to catch the fish. And generally, the one that you have to work even harder for is that one at the top, the apex. Yeah. Right? I guess the big, the cl- the big guy. Sort of like cliche corny sentiment with gar or in a lot of those prehistoric fishes you know for something that's lived that long they couldn't have been stupid to do it but uh, i do feel like it is it's you know especially like the alligator gar long nose gar kind of the same way they're sort of susceptible to to being wiped out if people really want to because as you probably observed they, they like to meander near the surface of the water at least the ones i've observed they're not like a really spooky fish they, they they'll they'll you can roll right up on them. And so it's like, it's one of those easy fish that, and maybe that's because they've for so long relied on the armor. They've relied on the stealth. They've relied on that. Just kind of like laying inanimate at the top of the water and it's worked for them. But you know, that's also a big reason why it's so easy for like down here. You know, I don't like to be the anti bow fishing guy, but it's like, it's like one of those things that the guys that fish my style of fishing, have waged this yeah, yeah. war against them. And, yeah. and I'm all for it. I mean, if people are doing things within reason and legally and lawfully harvesting game, you can't shut that down. That's not the right thing to do. But in any arena, even with rod and reel fishermen, there's a, a, a level of ethics involved. And some people are severely lacking, but like Gar leave themselves open to get wiped out. Oh, it's for sure. sad. So it's just an, it's, it's, it's an interesting fish, but it's, it is one of those ones where I don't know, especially our alligator gar, like they can't handle that beating. It's just different kind yeah. of animal. But um, you got to be careful in the states. You've got obviously ten times the population, about the, about the same land mass. Maybe maybe as far as your gar area goes, it's likely bigger than our gar area. But uh, we just don't have the pressure to ever wipe anything out really here, not yet anyway. Um, and it's just again overlooked fish uh, as a game day. fish, but yeah, all the. Long nose gar, I don't think we're ever going to go anywhere. No, but your alligators, yeah. Alligator gar, I don't know that they'll die off, but I think the a a certain like genetic category of fish may become more and more rare, like you know, because it's like you're trophy hunting at some point, and a fish like that has to wait a decade to even reach sexual maturity. It's like they just they can't keep up. They can't. I mean, you take out one of the big spawners you got to wait 10 years to replace that fish. It's not like, well, if you lose, if you lose forage too, you know, your population is taking more things that the gar may eat, but your hunters are, are, you know, those bow hunters that, that take a gar, that's, that's obviously the fish's worst enemy. We see that in Northern Arctic caribou herds. They always want to kill the biggest bull. It's the same with deer. Mm. And even with, with polar bears where, you know, most of the world is saying, well, we're losing our polar bear numbers. The Inuit would disagree, but they would agree that the polar bear are shrinking in size because maybe you're losing some genetics from hunting, but you're also losing 
the season. They're they're losing their their feeding season, but that's another story. Like you know, the Arctic winters are shorter, so that's less time for a bear to put on caloric intake and and grow. But uh, anyhow, um, but as far as hunting goes, hunting gar, hunting anything, any animal, you take the big genetics out, and you're you're doomed to smaller genetics for the rest of your days. Right. No, you don't need a. We don't need to be scientists to know that, right? Well, they've luckily, uh, you know, with regards to our alligator gar, they've they've at least gained enough of a diehard fandom to where there's efforts, you know, being put in place Good. finally to protect them right and put limits on them and things like that. So it's pretty encouraging. And honestly, I think you know the guys that shoot them with the bows. From from what I've observed, if you just look at things rationally, I don't see a lot of them that are doing that because they want to kill them because they don't like them. Those guys usually. I mean, a little bit of it is an ego thing. Like, I want to get a big one and show all my friends. But people, I mean, they're eating them. I mean, alligator gar are are, are considered even in and even in the most I don't know backwoods areas. It's like it's a uh, people are eating Tasty. it. But, um, I've never tried it. I would be open to trying it, but I'm a terrible cook. Uh, so anyway, oh. uh, I, I don't know, but. But anyway, um, I know we're getting a little short on time. I don't know, man. This conversation has been pretty cool. It's just it's an interesting oh, dynamic between the two of us because you're way up north. I'm way down south. You know, it's like the, the areas that we're from are so, uh, I don't know, pol- not polar opposite, but just polar different. And, but yet we're kind of meeting in the middle on things that we like, the garb, the riding. Um, it's just kind of funny how fishing pulls people together like that, so. I really appreciate you coming on here, talking with me, being a big fan of the stuff that you do for a long time. I really hope people will check out your site, uh, bunksoutdoorangle.com, right? It is. Yeah, uh, that's right. It's that That's good stuff. I'd love to see more people doing this kind of thing, but I don't know. Some people just, I don't know. That's I don't uh, have to build a website, but uh, it's that's uh, that all that information, all the, all of that, almost all of it. Started back in 2003. That was the first time I ever threw up a fishing report in yeah. one of the forums. Forum I didn't days. add, I didn't add any photos in the first little fishing report that I did. My buddy and I just canoed a section of river, caught nothing really, and uh, and went home. Um, but following that, I did a the trip out west for for white sturgeon in BC. Um, and when, once I posted that up and a few photos of the uh, the white sturgeon, wow, the comments and, uh, you know, I, it was a big ego stroke is what it was. Right? Yeah. It's like, be lying oh, if cool. Said it wasn't, no, there wasn't some right. of that involved, but. But it's like, wow, I'm a cool fisherman now. And people yeah. seem to like that, that story mm-hmm. while well, living in the north at the time as well. I had access to basically real estate that hardly anybody ever gets to see at all. And, and some pretty cool and popular fish, Northern pike and walleye and trout. Um, So living in the North, it gets kind of dull at times, you know, these, these long winters and uh, uh, just start writing, uh, taking the photos. It all became part of the process of fishing. It made me a better angler when I had more goals to go along with it. And, and and to help me pass the time in the in the Arctic, right? It's like I say, it it's a it's an isolated place, so you do things to keep your mind busy and be sane, um, and uh, just 
years go by and people of uh, many anglers, like your, even yourself just today, you know, being super supportive of the stories, um, understanding that there's a process to it all. It's the boundless pursuit. Right. Um, and, uh, and getting it out there and, and, and having these encounters and even more fishing encounters because of it down the road. Um, man, it just, it just works for me. But when the forum shut down, they were taking all those stories, you know, they were all being lost to time. Right. And I had a, a wonderful guy who had the biggest website in Canada, uh, the Ontario Fishing Network, because that's the biggest province, mm-hmm. um, the biggest forum in Canada. And he offered to build me the website for free. And I, and basically cool, said, yeah. grab your stuff. He said, go and grab it all now and throw it in there. Get it archived. And I couldn't get it all, but I got most. And there has to be, there have to be over 150 stories in there now, going back to 2006 or so. Um, and every province west of Quebec, uh, the Arctic, um, Sturgeon all the way from British Columbia to Sturgeon all the way in the St. Lawrence, um, Lake Trout, Char, all, everything in between. So um, if people like reading that kind of stuff, I hope they do because it does it does bring you in, um, un, un, unlike a, a YouTube video or yeah. even just an Instagram post where it's it's very superficial and cool, but you don't really get anything out of it other than a split scroll yeah, on by to the next you, thing. You keep scrolling to the next. That's right. But I think uh, you know the most I don't know authentically passionate people are are also the most silent kind of. They're the ones browsing and not saying anything. So I know that's uh, a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that they outnumber the people that have the loudest mouth or the loudest, I don't know, personality types. (laughs) More normal people aren't like I get that way. I know there's a lot of people. This is going to sound like I'm a weird Internet creeper, but like I have a lot of people that I have watched for a long time and I've never spoken a word to them, but I just like admiring what they do. And I think. I agree that a lot of that was lost with the forum days. A lot of the sites that I started on, like bowfinangler.com uh, or the Bowfin Anglers Group and the Gar Angler Sporting Society went away. That was a sad day. And that was like, yeah, man, that was so that was kind of like, you know, and I started picking up my blog similar. I was in conjunction with another guy's website uh, in 2011. And then somewhere along the ways, it's like, I really want to like revive that, reconnect with that. Um, because it's like, I don't know, you just take more pride in it when it's like your thing. Like it's my site. It's my, it's like your website. When I look at it, like that is your like portfolio for all your thoughts, ideas, things you've done. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's going to take a level of authentic, like passion to want to build something like that in the first place. So it's, that is a process I've really enjoyed. I've really enjoyed like reconnecting with that old thing and getting back into it I hope that there's like a revival of sorts in the future. Me too. Who, who do that. So and it's, yeah. not, it's actually easier now than ever before to build your own website. So I did it for, I mean, I don't even know how to build a damn website. And I, I used uh, Wix and it was really easy, but anyway, so yeah. I think the written, I, I think the written word is a deeper feeling mm-hmm. and, and it lasts longer. And it's like you say, for us, it's a, it's a, for me, it's part of the process. It's the the finishing touch on a trip or it has to be there. It has to be 
the period at the end of the sentence to just take that whole yeah. experience and and trap it into well compartmentalize it yeah it's it's here for me to go back to any time but it's actually right there on the web that I can go back to and so can you and so can whoever else well I'm really interested in written word and I've always thought about it like this like I can rattle off a lot of bs almost subconsciously without thinking and and I think a lot of people do that they just talk and once that word's out there they can't get it back they can't edit it they can't change what they've said whereas like you know when I'm writing I have the opportunity to like there's a subconscious, like there's, there's a thought process before you submit that, like you're, you're perfecting everything you're saying. So like that, that is your real thoughts. That's something you've like vetted out. It, you've made sure it was right. So it's like, you know, I don't know. I just, I like, I don't know. It's just easier to art. I have an easier time articulating myself with the words because I can change it and shape it up and sharpen it. Whereas when I talk, I feel like I leave a lot out. And so who knows? Sometimes I just need to slow down. But anyway, man, I'm about to run inside, have me some dinner. I'm 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 one of them <laughs> guys that has to go to bed by 8 30 or I'm useless. It's pretty pretty sad. Got some, oh. some homework to help the kids with. But man, I, I really appreciate your time coming yeah. on here and uh and joining me. I'm I glad this. They, I'm glad that this the is connection. Fun. I know. I'm glad the connection, <laughs> you know, it's way more fulfilling. I've actually enjoyed this a lot. I didn't know what I was going to think about doing this, but man, it, there's more real conversation needs to start happening between people. And I could go on a whole tangent here. I'm going to try to not allow that to happen, but <laughs> yeah. it's such an emotionalist thought process, the way we're communicating like this nowadays. And it's like, yeah. you know, you don't, you don't hear the inflection in somebody's voice or the tones behind the words they're saying. So this true. is, this has been yeah. an enjoy process for me and I've, I've only just begun, but, um yeah but it's 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 really cool well you've done a great job hosting yeah well i appreciate that but anyway (laughs) all right man well we'll be in touch i'm sure because uh because you're one of the guys i like speaking with i don't know uh, well i hope this takes off we'll see i mean maybe it will maybe it won't but i think it's just another it's sort of like my blog if i get 10 reads a week i'm you know happy enough but uh it's just it's more or less putting something out there that people can relate to that's entertaining educational um maybe maybe some things that people bring up will inspire people to try new things and if i can get a couple people out of it to do that i'm happy it's real man and we didn't make we didn't even make one single product plug the entire time no did we i have nothing not even one i don't think so well yeah actually you do actually you do you got some you got some uh some gitch, some shirts, and asking. Oh, that's your right. Art. Yeah, I'm wearing. I'm wearing yeah. my artwork. Wearing my brand. Cool. But uh, I sneak that in there though. I'm Every now and then I make fishing lures. If anybody, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, maybe, maybe we'll one day I'll there. be in. Yeah, maybe one day I'll be indebted to a sponsor and be forced to like have a coffee mug here and a, and a sticker on my forehead. But uh, I don't know. I don't want to lose the authenticity. That's that's the whole point of this whole thing. So, but anyway, man. I really appreciate yeah. your time and and yeah. uh I'll let you get to it and thanks Dave. We'll be in touch off camera. Right on, bud. All right, man. Enjoy yourself.